Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles now. Please open them to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28 in a Bible study that I've entitled, In-Laws Matter. In-Laws Matter. As we've been learning about the family, there are many dynamics that are at work within our relationships. We've studied singles, husbands, wives, parents, marriage, single parents, singles. We, we've studied each role, not a all roles, you know, exhaustively, but each role we've looked at of how God desires us to live. And it's important that we pause and step back and take a look at our own homes and evaluate our homes. It's important that we look to the Lord as we're leading our homes, as we've learned that judgment begins in the house of God. It doesn't begin out there, it begins in here. And not only in here, but it begins in your own personal house, your own leading, your own home. It's too easy to look outside of our homes and find everything wrong while all at the same time letting our house be in disorder and upside down. And we've learned that only God can help us, and he does. We learn in Proverbs 24, verse 3, through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it's established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all the precious and pleasant riches. And it's the wisdom of God that both gives us the tools to build and to help establish our homes upon Jesus Christ, the solid rock of our faith in him. So today we'll cover the dynamics, the role, and the responsibilities of what is commonly known as in-laws. Now I do appreciate that other phrases are used. I've heard phrases like in-laws. I've heard the phrase be replaced in love. I've even heard the phrase replaced with not in-laws, but outlaws. Oh, by the way, by the way, you know the difference, don't you? You know the difference between an in-law and an outlaw? Outlaws are wanted. (laughs) Thank you very much for that courtesy laugh. Today we cover that dynamic. It's a vital relationship that's often overlooked. And I do want to give a special appreciation to Pastor Skip Heitzig because he really helped me think through some of these things and organize it in a way to deliver, and I appreciate him very much. In-law relationships are overlooked and neglected and ignored. And because of that, many couples and families suffer greatly because the lines that God or the boundaries that God has created have been blurred or even worse, been eliminated by outright ongoing disobedience. In-laws can either be a blessing or a curse in a relationship. Father-in-laws, mother-in-laws, sister-in-laws, brother-in-laws, daughter-in-laws, son-in-laws, all of them can either be encouragements or discouragements within relationships. Now I can say that I have wonderful in-laws, Having been together now with Marie for 36 plus years of our life, 32 of them married, we have grown in our love for one another and our love for each other's families. 
And I know Marie would say that she has been blessed by my parents while they were alive as her in-laws, as they loved her as one of their own. Marie and I even once had the privilege of being good in-laws ourselves. And we were enjoying helping our son and our grandson and his new family launch off into their new life until, unfortunately, quite a few circumstances brought that to a screaming halt, which is unfortunate and challenging. Jay Adams, in his book, Solving Marriage, writes, perhaps the most difficult of all relationships to deal with is the in-law relationship. And it's true that you marry the family. Unlike other situations, you simply can't avoid your in-laws. Listen, church, this sinful resistance to the roles that God has given simply cannot continue. And it's important, as all of the things that we've studied thus far, this topic too must be heeded to be all that God desires, bringing great glory to his name through our lives. So today I want to cover four different aspects of the in-law relationship. And let me say at the outset that it's impossible to cover every aspect, number one. And number two, there is an underlying assumption as we're teaching these studies. The underlying assumption is that when it comes to sin, we don't approve of sin. Sin wrecks everything. So there are extreme situations within our relationships that you might be listening to me and go, wait a minute, Ed, what about this and what about that? Let me say that some of your situations will not be covered here, will not be mentioned here, even though it's very difficult for you. And you may need to sit down with a pastor to sort out exactly how it is you're to relate to your in-laws considering the difficulty that you're in. But the assumption is, they look, like, like for example, if it's an abusive situation, God is not calling you to continue on in an abusive situation, to continue on. So, no, if it's an abusive situation, involve the authorities right away. Get to a place of safety and tell the people that need to know what's happening in your life. That's an extreme situation. Some live under extreme situations. But most of what we're going to cover today is very normal. Very normal among us as in-laws. And the importance for us to understand God's perspective. We're going to look at a a person by the name of Laban. Between Jacob and his daughter Rachel, he's a horrible in-law. And he's going to become a pattern and a model for us to learn how to be a better in-law. And then by the time we end today, we're going to end with a couple of good examples of in-laws to give you some homework so you can see in the Bible that these relationships exist. And it is possible to do it right. But I do know when I broach this subject, there is pain in the room. And I I know that, and I prayed through it, and I recognize it, and I wish there wasn't. You know, I wish we could live in heaven right now. Amen? I mean, it's like, heaven's going to solve it. But we're not in heaven yet. I think we know that. And so what we need is to learn how to walk in the Spirit, not fulfilling the lust of our flesh. How, How to learn to be the one that exhibits 1 Corinthians 13, agape love, toward those difficult situations to learn how not allowing, to we got to learn how not to allow the things outside of our control to affect the things that we do control. And that happens a lot, where situations are outside of your control and there's nothing you, much you can do about it, so it just makes you all of a sudden, gets you off guard, and then by the time you, you look back at your life, you go, wait a minute, I've made all these bad decisions because I've been upset about something I don't even control, as painful as it might be. 
So four things I want to show you today. I want to give you God's perspective from the parent. And then I want to give you God's perspective from him. Then we want to learn God's perspective for in-laws in general. And then finally for the children. Now remember, an in-law relationship begins with marriage. That's where it happens. A a new marriage creates the in-law relationship. So let's look back at Genesis chapter 28. And we'll notice a very challenging and painful in-law relationship between Jacob, his wife, Rachel, and her dad, Laban, which unfortunately has been repeated over and over again. So I turn your attention to Genesis chapter 28, verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan, arise. Go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. Now, parents, I want you to mark these next words in your Bible. If you like to write in your Bible, circle them, highlight them, star them. This is point number one, and it's in verse five. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. That phrase, Isaac sent Jacob away. Parents, you have a responsibility within the in-law relationship, and your responsibility is to release your children. Or you could say it this way, to send your children away, in a good way, but nonetheless. You're to release them. The role of parents is to raise and release your children. That's what Isaac does here. He releases his son from the safety and security of his home for a new relationship. You could say it this way. He's releasing his son for a new them, a new relationship that begins with marriage. Your singular goal, parents, we've studied this in earlier studies, but your singular goal as a parent is to get your kids to Jesus, get them to the cross, get them to the place where they themselves recognize their own sinfulness, See the great love of God in sending Jesus to die for them, buried and rose again, that by Jesus' shed blood, your kids will place their faith in him, receive the forgiveness of their sins, and live the rest of their lives living for God. That is your responsibility. That is your singular responsibility. Even though along the way, there are other responsibilities, there are other things as parents that we have in responsibility for our kids. But in a spiritual sense, number one, get your kids to Jesus. However, along the way, there is that time to launch them off into adulthood to make their own life of faith in him. One of the greatest gifts that parents can give their kids is freedom. This is your responsibility. When it comes to marriage, remember, when it comes to your kids getting married, this is the instruction from the Lord. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Here's the same verse, Genesis 2, 24 in the New Living Translation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother 
and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Here's the principle. You may hear it. You, you may hear it. You should hear it used here very often when it comes to marriage. The principle is this. You are to leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. First step is you leave your present home, your mother and father, and then in marriage, you are to cleave to your husband or wife. That is the instruction of the Lord, to leave and cleave. And it's amazing to me, as I read Genesis chapter two, it's amazing to me to think through that Adam and Eve was given this instruction, but they had no parents. This was a future instruction for them. God was teaching them what marriage would look like from then on and how it would go forward in their home. That God, he was establishing marriage through them for the future. For the immediate future, as they would have children specifically. And that was part of the plan. That they themselves would model what a marriage is to their children and should encourage those children to go out and establish families of their own. So you could say that the role of parents is to release their children's security. You've got to think in your mind and come to this place where you're like, you look at your kid and you say, I've raised you, I love you, but now it's time for you to get out on your own. You see, parents, you need to learn to affirm in your mind from time to time that you're raising those kids for the Lord and will launch them off one day. I know that there is that, you know, for every parent, there's always that age that they remember their kids in. You know, that people that study these things say it's usually between 8 and 12, where you just got that ideal age of which you just wish your kid was there all the time and that they never grew up, but they do grow up. And we need to grow up with them in our own maturity, preparing them to launch. You can't have them forever. Our children do not belong to us. They belong to the Lord. Your kids are not your little science experiment, but they are precious kids made in the image of God with a life of their own to live. And you have a responsibility to help them launch off in that new life. Remember in Psalm 127, verse three, it says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Children are a gift. God's gift to us, but they are a temporary gift at that. They have been lent to us by the Lord. They are not yours, really. You're simply a steward and have stewardship, raising them, training them in the way that they should go. And listen, you must release them to leave and cleave and make it abundantly easy and easier for them to do this. This is really where the rubber meets the road as an in-law, especially as a mother-in-law, father-in-law. You have a responsibility to not only allow them and encourage them to leave, but also help them to cleave to their spouse, to their husband or wife. You not only need to train them and teach them and release them, but you also need to choose to make it easier for them in their new marriage, not harder. And I know there are some among us that have experienced both sides, where it's, you've made it easier, but also there are some that have seen it, made it harder. And God just won't bless that, making it harder. Now, for those that are leaving mom and dad, I want you to understand this, the other side. 
Those that are leaving mom and dad to cleave in a new marriage, understand this, leaving and cleaving doesn't mean deserting and abandoning. There is a new relationship that continues on the foundation of the previous one. You don't just get up and go, okay, it's time. I'm getting out as fast as I can. I'm never going to talk to my parents again. That is sin. That is a sinful response. You want to learn how to grow together and build upon the relationship that started. At some point in life, there is an allegiance shift. For example, for the young man getting married, what that means is, is that his mom is no longer the dominant female in his life. His wife is. For a young man getting married, leaving and cleaving, no longer will be the mom be the most dominant or the most important woman in his life. No, rather his wife will be the most important woman in his life going forward. And so moms, you just have to accept that there is a new relationship and although there is a new dominance, there's a new relationship, it doesn't diminish you, you're moving on to a new phase of relationship. And for the young girl getting married, what that means is, is that her father is no longer the dominant male in her life. Her husband is. And so for the dad seeing their daughters get married, they can't be personally offended that now her time and attention is spent toward her husband. That's the way it should be. And you and I have a responsibility to encourage them in that way. No couple will ever reach their full potential in marriage without this important change by the parents. And let me say this next, as clear as I possibly can. I spent a lot of time trying to choose my words carefully, trying to put it in such a way where there'll be no misunderstanding. So I want to say it clearly. It is sin to hover, meddle, pry, gossip, control, interfere in your children's marriage. Let me say it again. It is a sin to hover, you know, the new thing that's popular to be that helicopter. Well, I'm just a helicopter pilot. I'm just a helicopter pilot parent. It's okay to be a pilot, but to be a helicopter parent, to hover around, to meddle, to interfere, to pry, to gossip, to try to control your kid's marriage, it's a sin, directly or indirectly, aggressively or passive-aggressively. It is sin to be repented of even now if necessary. And let me just say, not only is it a sin, but you will reap the consequences of such decisions if that's the route that you choose. The wages of sin will always be death. And it will be a painful end. Even to you younger couples, you need to understand leaving means that you're making your spouse the most important, significant person in your life. You're starting your own family and your own home with your own decisions, which means you're going to take your own responsibility for those decisions. It's not just merely moving out of the house but you are literally leaving the covering of your parents to a new covering. And it's important that you choose to regularly develop this relationship with your mom and dad and the mom and dad of your spouse. How do you do that? Well, consider. Consider these things. Number one, you should commend your spouse frequently in front of your mom and dad. You should speak positively about your spouse in front of your mom and dad. You should praise his or her virtues. 
You should talk often about their good points. Never, choose never to complain about your spouse in front of your parents. To never speak down about your spouse in front of your parents. Never use negative language, because this is why. It will make it much more difficult for your parents to ever love and respect your mate as they should if all you ever do is complain about them. Like if you have a real true complaint about your spouse, take it to the Lord. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. You, you can make it so much harder. And I get, the, I, I get the habit. I totally get the habit because, you know, you think about it. You look back to the, you know, maybe your junior high days. and You're having a hard time at junior high. What did you do? You'd come home from school and you would talk to your parents about your difficult day. And then they would walk you through it. They'd help you process through it. You'd feel better. You'd move on. And then you went through high school. You, you were going through difficulties. What did you do? You came home. You processed it with who? Your parents. Because your parents were helping you grow up. And even maybe a few relationships along the way that weren't marriage. You came home, processed them with your, with your parents. But now that you're married, you need to learn to process these things with your husband or wife. You don't bring those difficulties of your marriage back to your parents so that you're always complaining because you're just going to make it so much harder for your parents. Like your parents are not going to like your spouse when your spouse is treating you like that or even how, you know, oh man, it was a bad idea. I knew it was a bad idea. It's always a bad idea. Well, you now you're just feeding part of what your parents need to do in releasing you to the Lord. So you want to walk in such a way where you're developing this relationship and making it easier for your parents to love your spouse. Of course your spouse has problems, but here's the big secret. You ready? So do you. And your complaining and murmuring is a good indication of the problems that you're experiencing. You need to develop the leaving and cleaving by what you choose to say in front of them. Also, you want to develop the relationship, the new in-law relationship. Include your spouse in family conversations. Include your spouse in your family conversations and your family activities. Your spouse, your husband or wife should never be left out when a family gathers together. Never excluded, never left out. In fact, you ought to make it clear to your parents, to both sets of parents, in unity you should make it clear by saying something along these lines if necessary. If you want one of us you have to have both of us because we are one. And I'm telling you, I've been around long enough to see some really bad in-law relationships where the in-laws actually create the division. Marie and I have personally experienced that, where in-laws create the division and make it harder and are unbiblical and create a lot of pain along the way. So both ways, it's responsible for kids, even if you're parents are making bad decisions. In unity, as a marriage, you guys make the right decisions. Overrule bad decisions by the leading of the Spirit. And don't let the division, don't let the division and devalue. Of course, you know, there are going to be things that you don't include. You know, there will be things in your new family that, that really you're not going to include. But when there is an opportunity to include, invite, invite your in-laws to be a part of it. Come together as a family unit. When you make the choice to abandon your parents or abandon your in-laws, you're choosing a sinful route. Can I just say again, by way of reminder, 
in very extreme things, if there's abuse or thing, like obviously don't submit yourself to abuse and that sort of thing, but if it's just normal family relational stuff, learn how to work through it. Learn how to work through it. Learn how to walk in the Spirit. Because in your marriage, you're a package deal. Same with the in-laws. Well, you know, you know, I like your dad. I don't like your mom. No, no, no. They go together. They're one unit. And perhaps, perhaps God has brought you into this new family unit to then be a help in resolving conflict, not creating more of it. And so you have a responsibility as parents to release your kids. Number two, I want you to see God's role in this in Jacob's life. Would you look at verse 10 of chapter 28 now, verse 10. So Jacob goes out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there all night, because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. And then he dreamed. And behold, a ladder was set up on earth, its top reached to the heaven, there were angels of God were descending and ascending on it. And behold, verse 13, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the rest and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Here's number two. I want you to notice how God operates in the in-law relationship. God does two things. He directs and he encourages. He directs and encourages. Now this section of Genesis has great theological significance as it points to the coming of Messiah. But I want you to step back from that for a moment and just consider our brother Jacob here. He has left the comfort and ease and safety and security of his home, and he's sent to a place to find a wife and start a new life. I'm certain that there's a lot of emotion going on here, that he's greatly concerned. I, I couldn't help but think about Marie and I when we moved out. Believe me, I wanted to move out. I was very eager to start a family. I wasn't saved. We already had a kid, but I was ready to go for it and, and try my best. But I'll tell you another feeling I had. I was scared. Like we were poor, we had nothing. I didn't know how we were gonna do it. It was so much easier to let my parents pay all the bills and, and, not, and live under their roof, even though there were challenges there. But I knew, even as an unbeliever, I had to launch off and I was super scared. I think Jacob is in a very similar place. He doesn't know what the future holds. He's uncertain of what's gonna happen. And what, what happens in his life, God meets him and speaks to him. He says, you know what, Jacob is gonna be just fine. You are going to get married. You are going to have kids. And I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. There, there isn't anything in your life that I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to go through it with you. I, I will not leave or forsake you until I've done everything I told you I was going to do. I'm going to keep all my promises to you. You're going to be okay. And don't you think these would be such encouraging words for a guy who just moved out of his house, <laughs> uncertain about the future? What's my future going to be? He doesn't even have a career at this point. He doesn't even know how he's going to provide. And as he's asking, what's my future going to be? Perhaps he was a little scared. So what does God do? He speaks encouragement. Again, parents, I want you to understand something, that when you release and launch your kids, you are releasing them 
into the hands of a faithful God, the faithful God that you yourself worship. Here's one of the problems we make, or one of the, the difficulties that come and one of the mistakes that we make. That is, you know, we have such a desire as parents for our kids not to experience all the hardships that we had. That's a good desire, by the way, to kind of bring them and, and have a little bit better life than we had, a little bit less pain. I know that was a major, major issue. I was a hyper-controlling parent in the beginning because I was so scared. I was so concerned that my kids would grow up to be bad like me. And so my parenting was to put this in place and this in place and this in place and just kind of hover over them and, until God finally revealed to me, Ed, they're not going to grow up to be bad like you. Well, why, Lord? Because they're not you. And it gave me great comfort. And the Lord also spoke to me that they're going to experience hardship. They're going to experience pain too. I know you don't want it to happen, Ed, but that's part of life. It's going to be hard for them. Remember, Ed, when you couldn't pay your bills? Yep. Well, they're not going to be able to pay their bills either. Oh, Lord, that was so hard. Yeah, but look what happened. Look what I used in your life. Remember when you had that argument? Yes, I remember my marriage was on the rocks, but look how I showed up in your life. And so as we're trying to guard and protect them, listen, you might be interfering, not just with your, parent, your kid's marriage, but you might literally be interfering with the work of God in your kid's life. And I know you don't want that, but in your flesh, that's exactly what's happening. You're jumping in, trying to take control over something that really belongs to God. So when you launch your kids out, yeah, they're out on their own. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Yeah, you know, you remember you said, I'm going to pay this bill. I'm going to maybe pay this bill. I don't think I'm ever going to pay this bill. You remember those days? And you just had a stack here, stack here, stack here. And then, oh, I lost that one. I didn't know. Maybe they'll send me another one. I'm not sure. They were always faithful to send another one, weren't they? And the numbers kept going up and going up and wrecked your credit and all of that. Well, you know what? Your kids, they may experience very similar things. And you're releasing them to the same God that you trust. But Ed, you don't understand. They're not walking with the Lord right now. Okay, well, God's still faithful. Well, you know, they're not listening to me. Okay, God's faithful. Well, they're even making really, really bad decisions. Ed, you don't understand. They cut me off. I'm sorry, that is painful. But God is faithful. And rather than try to take back control, what are you doing now? You've got to pray. You've got to seek the Lord. You've got to trust Him. But Ed, Ed, they won't let me see the grandkids. Man, that's a hard one. That's really hard. What do you do? You pray. And you ask the Lord to be your comfort and be your strength. It, it, it can be very, very hard in these new relationships. But just like Jacob was told, God is telling you today, I'm with you. You can trust me. And you can even trust me with this difficult situation. The same God that has taken care of you will take care of them. And will affirm his will, even if they choose not to walk in it today. Thirdly, I want to look at in-laws in general. What is the in-laws? Number one, we learned that parents, they're to release. God, he directs and encourages. Now, in general, what do in-laws give? They give support. Support. I want you to see that in chapter 29 in verse 10. Chapter 29 in verse 10. It came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near, rolled the stone away from the well's mouth, and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. 
Then Jacob kissed Rachel, lifted up his voice, and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass when Laban, that is Rachel's dad, heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him into the house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Now we're going to pause there because up to this point, the characteristics of Laban are very positive. There there is a positive part here. Now, I do think that part of this month staying here was reading Jacob, figuring out how he could take advantage of him, but there is some positive observations that we can make. So it's pretty simple. The role that you have as an in-law, God's design for you is to be supportive of that new relationship. Support your children's new life. Support your children's new choices. Yes, you're correct. There may be sinful choices that you are unable to support. But rather than magnify those, you go as far as you can, loving your kids until that area where you can't. Because even if your kids are making very, very challenging decisions, that doesn't relieve you or me from loving them. They're still our kids. And we still want what's best from them, even in our own personal pain or challenges. Even if we didn't like all of their choices, we need to help them and support them, even if they have to get back right with the Lord. Your role is never to be divisive, manipulative, or critical, or in any way hurting your kids' new relationship. The reason this is vital is because we're going to see, if you want to read for homework, you're going to see Laban break every single in-law rule there is and ruin his kids and hurt them deeply. He was a horrible in-law, period. Horrible. Which leads me to this. Maybe today, God is saying to you too that you have been a horrible in-law. Maybe it is you that need to reevaluate how you've been responding to this new relationship that has come into your family. There's no other way to say it. And if you come to the conclusion, the Holy Spirit leading you, I'm not the judge of that. I don't don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess if we sat down and talk, I can combine it with the scripture and go, you know, that's just not the right way to handle it. Because every situation is different. But if the Spirit of God is speaking to you, the Spirit of God is ministering, and you look back and you go, man, even if it's just I made some mistakes, or you're full-blown, a horrible in-law, here's the remedy. You must repent of your sin, ask for forgiveness, and pray for the needed change to love your children and your new daughter-in-law, your new son-in-law, the way that God has ordained. And it's not too late. But until you admit it, until it's everyone else's fault, you know, until you stop, you know, stop making excuses and it's everybody else's fault, everybody else, just judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And it's worth on this topic examining yourself before the Lord and allowing him. If you are, you come to that place, you know, I made some really bad choices. I, I'm a meddling mother-in-law. and that's not good. I'm a prying father-in-law. and that's not good. Well, as a son-in-law, I'm just really treating her parents super poorly. That, that's not good. If you're a horrible in-law, I mean, a brother-in-law, I never liked him to begin with. 
okay, but that's not the right way to respond. They made the choice. You say you're a follower of Christ. Well, then live out 1 Corinthians 13 love in your life. Maybe you have no opportunity to express it because the relationships are broken right now. Okay, that's okay. You don't have to, have to express it immediately in order to live it presently. By faith, waiting for God to move. Remember, you can't let things that you don't control mess you up on the things you do control, which is your attitude, your behavior, your prayer life, your love relationship with the Lord and with others. It, it may be completely outside of your control. Admit that and then say, Lord, okay, you know the hurt and pain I carry. This is not what I expected. I train them in the way they should go and look what's happening. Look at their choices. This is hard. This is painful. But God, I commit them to you daily, moment by moment. I look forward to one day experiencing that relationship like my friends do or like the word says. But if you're the horrible, and when I mean, when I use the word horrible in context of Laban, I could just back up a little bit and say, if you're the sinful in-law, repent. It is not helping your marriage, not helping your relationship. It's not helping. If there are extremes in your life, perhaps you just need to sit down with a pastor so they can help you sort it out. So that as you hear it, you go, I don't know, Ed, what about this? Well, then maybe you just sit down and sort it out. Talk it through. Pray it through. So that someone can walk alongside more than just a Bible study. In these general, in a very general sense, though, if we are the one in sin, you don't need to sit down with a pastor for that. Repent. Just repent. Let the Lord do a new work in your heart. Jump down to chapter 29, verse 18 now. Because I'll show you with Laban, I'll show you a little glimpse of what it looks like. Chapter 29, verse 18. It says, Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I'll serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. And so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Now, you guys know the rest of the story. Serves seven years. He, and then, then instead of giving him Rachel, he gives him his other daughter. And then that goes around. Now he's got two. Now he's got to work another seven years. And he's just totally taken advantage of. And it's pretty clear in the text that Laban has no regard for his daughter and even less for his future son-in-law. He is selfish and self-centered. It is bad for his kids. It is bad for his future grandkids. And jump ahead now, chapter 31. Here is, we get a glimpse of what this did 20 years later. 20 years later. By the time we get to 31, verse 41, 20 years later. Con choices have consequences. Choices have bad choices, have bad consequences. Notice this. Thus I've been in your house 20 years, Jacob says. I've served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you've changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac, had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. That's the kind of guy he was. God has seen my affliction. Remember what we learned in Psalm 34? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers them out of them all. You're going to see an example of that right here. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Here's Laban's response to his son-in-law. Been with him 20 years. Laban answered and said, and I'm going to place some emphasis 
So you understand by his language how we know. How do we know what kind of guy he was? Not only by his behavior, but by his language. Listen to what he says. These daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. Those are the grandchildren, by the way. This flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have born? Now therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and be a witness. Did you hear his words? When he looks at his daughters married to Jacob, he still sees them as his possession. When he looks at his grandchildren, he sees them as only relating to him and how they might profit him. No care and concern for Jacob or even Jacob's family. No mention. He's a very selfish, self-centered man giving bad counsel to his daughter, to both of his daughters, unfortunately, and bad counsel to his son-in-law. The leave and cleave principle didn't even enter into Laban's thinking. It was all about him and not them. And that is the root of broken relationships, selfishness, self-centeredness. Laban failed to understand that the husband-wife relationship must always take precedent over the child-parent relationship. Now what that means to us practically is that parents should always accept their child's mate, husband or wife, biblical marriage, as if they were their own child. It's not, well, you know, you're my daughter and you married that guy, whatever his name is. And even making little jokes about it can hurt a person. Like you treat them just like you treat them just like you treat your daughter. Treat her just like you treat your son. You can't have different categories of love and respect. They are one flesh. It's a package deal. Laban didn't get that. And by the way, parents, parents of married kids, here's a rule of thumb in giving advice to your children after they're married. You ready? Don't. Don't give your kids advice unless they ask for it. Don't give your kids advice for their marriage unless they ask you for it. Well, you know, your mom and I always, yeah, dad, that's why I'm doing it differently. And now you're just creating up another argument and another difficulty. Don't give them advice. I learned this as a pastor. Early on as a pastor, I'm like, man, I thought everybody wanted my advice. I thought everybody needed my advice. And so I'm going out giving everybody my opinion. But over the years, I've learned, if you don't ask me my opinion, I'm not going to tell you. What differences will my opinion say? What does the Bible say? That's what matters. I'll give you the word of God. But my opinion, what difference does it make? What does God's word say? You may find God's word and apply it differently in your context that might be different than my opinion, but we can both agree on the word. And I think it's true with our kids. We want to stay back and be ready to serve and encourage them. But if they ask for it, then offer it. But don't offer it unless they ask. Otherwise, this is a great place where in-laws quickly become outlaws and difficulties arise. Now, a great example. I'm going to give you a couple examples. We don't have time. Uh, Well, let me give you one more, and I'll give you examples. Let's go to number four. Number four is the children, and the responsibility of the kids in the marriage or in the new in-law relationships is simple. Children continue to honor and respect their parents and their new in-law parents. Now, we studied this in depth when we looked at the principle of kids honor. You know, remember kids matter? We talked about honor and respect. We went in depth to this verse, Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord God is giving you. We covered this in depth, but it applies to adult children too. 
because you're married in your own home now, in your own family, in your own responsibilities, that does not give you permission to dishonor and disrespect your parents or your new in-law parents. Honor and respect continues, sometimes even more so than before because now you're relating to them as adults. You know, we've all met those people that say, you know, I'm just my kid's best friend. I'm just my kid's best friend. You know, their kid's eight years old and they want to be their kid's best friend. But one of the best pieces of advice that was ever given to me that I adopted in my life is this. In order to be your kid's best friend, you have to raise them first. You are the parent. You are not their best friend. You are the parent. You have a responsibility to raise them, make difficult choices for them, help them navigate through life. But once you do raise them, then you can begin to enjoy an adult friendship with them. You will always be a parent to one to some degree or another. But as they're adults, you'll begin to enjoy that friendship and you'll be able to hang out and you'll be able to share life together. You'll be able to accept differences. You'll be able to see personality traits. You'll be able to celebrate what God is doing in their own individual lives. But kids, you've got to, as an adult, still respect your parents and still respect and honor your in-laws. Because here's the thing. The, you know, as we learned earlier, you marry your in-laws, you marry your family, you marry her, you marry his complete family. And, and you got to be careful because you're, the spouse you married, their parents raised them. They are a product of their upbringing. And whether you agree or not, you've got to be careful, kids. Again, adult kids. Be careful how you talk to your parents and how you talk to your parents-in-law. Be careful that when you're talking to them, that you don't interrupt them, that you don't want to assert, I'm the man, I'm, I am your daughter's husband now. Yeah, we all know that, bro. We were there at the wedding. We know. We understand. You don't have to fight for anything. Learn how in that new relationship to share whatever you need to share, but respectfully. Same with you that are ladies, respectfully and honor. Have the respect and honor to let them finish what they're saying, let them speak, don't interrupt them. You know, we, all, we still have years on you. Like, we still have a few years on you. Uh, there may not be many, but I came first. I'm the dad. Without the dad, there's no kid. That's how it works. But also, I, in, I need to learn to honor and respect my kids in their new role. You also have to learn how to honor and respect your parents in that new role. So be very careful, too, how you speak about your parents or their parents to your spouse. Just like you shouldn't be dishonoring you know, them in front of your parents, but also you don't want to dishonor your parents in front of your spouse and complain about them. I don't like this. And I don't like how I was raised. I don't like the mistakes. Because here's the thing. You're going to find out as your kids launch off that when they look back on their upbringing and their raising, they're going to find mistakes and problems. They're going to blame you for them. I just didn't like this, and I'm not going to do this in my home, and I didn't like how you did this, and you made this mistake. And here's what happens. As they want to talk to you about it as an adult in their own family, you know what happens? You get hyper-defensive. Oh, that's not how it happened. How is your, what's your problem? And tell me how that's going to work for you. Because you're talking to them like they're an eight-year-old. You might want to consider doing it this way, as painful as it is. But again, you're the mature one. As painful as it is, you go, you know, I, I don't quite agree with that. I don't see that. But Tell me your perspective. I didn't live your life. I didn't get it from you. I did it my way, and I did it because that's how my mom did it, and that's how I learned. But, but if, 
Tell me how it made you feel. Give me that. And you can meet them where they're at without being all defensive. And when you do that, like in any relationship, you further the relationship. I mean, these are your kids. You want a long-term relationship with them. And if they experience it a certain way, even if they have it wrong, even if they have perception is 100% reality for people. So their perception of something, even as they start to process it, and maybe they marry somebody, oh, I can't believe that. It's not the home I grew up in. That's right. You didn't grow up. That's why you don't marry brothers and sisters. You didn't grow up in my house. You had a different upbringing. I had a different upbringing. But together, we can even do it differently from both our houses. And so kids, you've got to be honorable. Don't speak down of your parents to your spouse. Work it out with your parents. Be very careful. You want to make sure that you're honoring both in their presence and outside of their presence. Because that's what the Bible says. Let no corrupt communication proceed from your mouth. That's what the Bible says. That's living a God-honoring life, which is the highest life to live. So for homework, a couple of good examples. We looked at Laban. Read that for sure. Genesis 28, 29, 30, and 31. But here's a couple of great examples. How about, how about the relationship between Naomi, mother-in-law, and Ruth? I mean, that was a beautiful relationship. Very difficult for sure through the loss of her husband, loss of her son. But I mean, if you think about it, you have gratitude on one part, awakens loyalty in the heart of the other. Selflessness on one part demands unselfishness on the other. Even Naomi, when she's dealing with her bitterness, awakened within Ruth to love her unconditionally and help her through the pain of losing her sons even as she lost her husband. Interest from one is rewarded by responsive communication in the other. Counsel from one bears fruit as accepted and honored and respected from one another. Let me give you another example. And this is not readily seen perhaps, but remember in Luke chapter 4, when Peter's mother-in-law was sick, you know what Peter didn't do? See you later. Oh, she's finally sick and quiet, finally. No. What did he do? He went to get Jesus. He brought Jesus to his home to what? heal his mother-in-law. Why? Because not only did he love his mother-in-law, but by loving his mother-in-law, he loved his wife. And he gave another one. Somebody suggested after first service. How about this one? How about Jethro with his son-in-law, Moses? When Jethro came, there was great love and respect. And Jethro had to say something very challenging to Moses. And you know what Moses did? He listened and then he did it because his father-in-law was right. And it's just beautiful all throughout the scriptures. I was thinking as we close, you know, Marie and I, we've been together a long time and her mom didn't always like me. I, I would say, and I can't speak on her behalf, but I would say that there were seasons where her mom really, 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 really didn't like me for good reason. Unfortunately, I have a photographic memory and I remember the day I remember the day that we went to her mom and sat on the edge of her bed and I had to look her mom in the eye and say, I got your daughter pregnant, a teenager. And I remember the weeping and the wailing and the pain in that room that day. I remember it like it was yesterday. And then going on for that, she continued to dislike me because I treated her daughter extremely poorly, horrifically, if you would say that. Oh, God is so good that he intervened in our lives and Marie and I both were born again and he changed my life and I value and I love my wife and God turned things around. But it took a long time for her mom to trust me, uh, to like me, 
But I can announce today, and I got permission from Marie to do this, that I am her mom's absolute favorite son-in-law. Now, of course, she only has one daughter, so I'm her only son-in-law, but I'm absolutely her favorite. Not only that, but through our life, Marie and I staying together, God being gracious to us and us learning how to respect each other and respect her mom. Not only does her mom and I, I love her mom and she loves me, but through the relationship between Marie and me being born again, her mom now is also born again and on fire for the things of God. And it's a beautiful thing and a beautiful relationship that I have with my mother-in-law. I absolutely love and appreciate her and I so wish that I hadn't caused her so much pain. If I could take it back, I would. And you know, you got Pastor Ed up here, he's telling you all the good parts of his life, but there is a big section of our life that's not good when it relates to former in-laws. It's a very bad, horrible situation that's completely outside of our control. And it's been ongoing since the death of our son. And so our choice has been to pray and ask the Lord to take care of it. That, That is the proper choice. We're not going to jump in and try to change anything we can't change, try to change people's minds that we can't change. We have to trust the Holy Spirit. So I like to share the better parts of our life with you so you'll be encouraged. I like to share the better parts of our life with you so you'll be built up and see God can do things. But many of you understand this all too well. The good parts of our life are often preceded by very hard, difficult parts. And some of us are still living in very hard, difficult parts right now. Even as I prepared the message, it's like, man, this is a hard one. But you know, life is hard. And your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus, they have a hard life too. And your boss that's been screaming down your neck, they got a hard life too. And you and the person sitting next to you, we probably all have hard lives together. But it's by the grace of God that he enables us to go through and to trust Lord with the things that we have no control over. You know what the secret is? You want to let you in on a secret? You really don't have control of hardly anything in your life because God is sovereign and he works all things together for the good, for those that love him and those are called according to your purpose. So if you've got great in-law relationships, we applaud you. We are so happy. We're happy for you. We're happy with you. Run, run, run. Be an example to us. Be an encouragement to us. If you don't have really good in-law relationships right now, if your kids have deserted you, if you're not able to see your grandkids or your great-grandkids, I'm sorry. It is super deep, searing pain. But the Lord's still faithful. And the promise he gave to Jacob is the promise he's given to you. I will be with you. I will fulfill my promise to you. And I will never, ever leave or forsake you. And it's in times like that you just got to turn to the Lord and wait on him because it's a privilege It's a privilege, as painful as it might be, to wait upon the faithfulness of God. Amen? Amen. So, Father, thank you. We worship you. And we're grateful for your goodness in our lives. And we ask right now, God, that you would minister your comfort and encouragement and strength to our church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. 
Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.